Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Technology Forward. I'm Leslie Langnaw, your host. Where do you get your design inspiration? How do you develop innovative ideas? 3D printing is a technology that can help spur creativity. Many users, forecasters, and others believe 3D printing will spur innovation and enable mass personalization. At HP, one of the areas the designers and engineers are exploring is the use of 3D printing in the sports and mobility industries, where they see 3D printing as a testing ground for innovation at large. I'm here with David Woodlock, Application Development and Design Manager at HP, and we're going to discuss how 3D printing can trigger innovation. Thank you for being with me here today, Dave. Thank you. So tell me, what can we learn from 3D printing when used in sports or mobility applications? Um, it shows you the power of moving fast and getting user feedback. I, I love sporting goods, outdoor recreation and all of that because it's, it's so human focused, right? It's such a personal thing. And a lot of times that relationship with your sport is through some sort of piece of equipment. Okay. And that could be as something as simple as shoes um, up to, you know, really expensive mountain bikes, right? But it kind of like your, your experience is determined by what you're using. So you product developers, product owners, designers in the space are just so focused on the, the end user, the human user um, in a way that, you know, you don't see in many other industries. Um, so what we've seen, you know, 3D printing be able to do is let them respond to those um, users and respond to them faster, right? And it, and it starts with, you know, just getting representative parts faster, better prototypes out in the field, out in really intense, you know, sporting situations with professional athletes, right, that they can stand up to the abuse. Um, and that's kind of this immediate impact that we've seen there just moving forward. And then you start to see them think about more broadly, like, well, what can I bring to these people that hasn't been possible before, right? And it's not necessarily, a, I want to, you know, use 3D printing. It's what do these people value in this, this, you know, this sport that they spend a lot of money on, a lot of time on, what do they care about? And how can I use this new tool to, you know, advance the state of the art? Um, so it's really fun. It's, you know, my favorite industry. And I think this is why it's been one of the quickest to adopt, you know, 3D printing out of manufacturing. Can you give me an example of a design or a part that went through such, such faster iteration because of, of this ability to prototype so quickly? Yeah, I think the, you know, the new putter that we just launched with, with Cobra Golf is, is an incredible example. It's such an, an interesting and unbelievably complicated and hard to predict, you know, piece of equipment, actually. Yeah. It looks like a, a piece of metal at the end of a stick, but predicting exactly how it feels and how the ball bounces and how the ball rolls is very hard. Um, so just the dozens and dozens of iterations that they were able to run through in a very short period of time, I thought was incredible. But again, it's, and it's not lab testing. They were able to get new putters into the hands of PGA golfers mm -hmm. who have this feel that nobody else on the planet has, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'd pick up two putters and it's the same thing. Uh, but to Bryson DeChambeau, they're very different. And I thought that was just an incredible story about just like moving fast with professional athletes 
using a new piece of equipment to give feedback. You know, it opened up a new design space for them. And you ta start talking about, well, if this was machined or if this was cast, there's, you know, certain limitations on how that acceptable volume is filled. But now you have more ability, you can create new cavities. You can play around with putting material in different places. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not slight iterations on what's been done before. It's, it's, it's kind of a really a bigger design space that hadn't been explored that you need to start centralizing on what is the best trade-off of all of these different new avenues to kind of get to a new solution. This might be a strange question, but did they use topology optimization at all or generative design to try to come up with anything interesting in, in the putter itself? That's a good question. You know, I'm not sure that they did. You know, when I think about it, though, a lot of feel and rebound is right. It's, it's kind of tied back to um, what is the, the vibrational frequency of that piece of equipment you're using. So I'm not sure they did, but, you know, as I think to the future, maybe that's some way to get, you know, more scientific about it, right? How does this thing vibrate when impacted by a golf ball? And can you take an even more data topology optimization approach to golf, right? Very, very interesting thought. Now, refresh my memory. Did they actually produce putter heads on a 3D printing or was this primarily for prototyping? Yep. Yeah, they're producing them today. Okay. Um, starting in small volumes and then ramping up. Um, yeah, so so that is ongoing with our, our metal technology. Let's go into customization here. So yeah. is this an example of where you could customize the putter head to a specific golfer's preferences? It, totally possible. And again, I'm, I'm not a very good golfer, but you can imagine that, you know, People like different weights of things, right? Yeah. So you even start there, right? Even like, you know, in baseball, some people like really heavy bats, some people like really soft bats, so you light bats, right? Mm -hmm. In golf, you know, you can have a choice between a really heavy putter or a really light putter, things like that, even just as like a first step towards, you know, not maybe personalization, but more choice, more preference, more, you know, optionality um, that's enabled that you couldn't do before. And then how would that affect the cost of such putters? Well, for us, it's, you know, negligible. Now, the only thing you have to do is if you're doing it at point of sale on demand ordering, you just need that tracking system to say, this order came in, we produce it, now we get it back to that person, right? That's about it. You know, for us, the rest of the supply chain looks the same, whether, you know, it's a thousand putters of the same or a thousand different putters. Um, so the only thing new is, you know, adding this kind of ordering backbone, if you will, that gets the right piece to the right person from the factory. Would you say then that this enables the personalization or the customization to be done at a better cost point than if somebody was mass producing these products? hundred percent. Yeah, none of these business models have been viable before. SKUs, products in the past are limited to, you know, call it three sizes maybe, if you're lucky. And that's just, you know, it's due to capital tooling, mm -hmm. amortization mm -hmm. of capital. Um, but also to just, you know, supply chain logistics. Okay. When your, you know, your channel is, uh, you go through distributors out to retail, right? And you need all of those sizes at all the different stores, right? You know, and you need uh, several of them. It's like, well, if I have 12 sizes, I can't get enough of each of the sizes to go to each of these stores. So mm -hmm. on top of the capital problem, there is a um, just logistics and distribution problem. So what added manufacturing does is, um, 
enables you to, you know, there's this full, you know, personalization that people talk about, you know, this is one off for you, but there's also, you know, we used to offer three sizes. Now we offer 10 sizes and that's mm -hmm. a ton of value. Um, you know, what I've seen in it happening in, in COVID and quarantine is this huge pickup in uh, participation in outdoor recreation. The bicycle industry is booming, you know, up over 50% a year. Nordic skiing, hiking, all of these sports are are just taking off because people, you know, they're they're around and they want to be outside and get out of their homes. And what that comes with too is you're getting different participants, right? You're getting people of different sizes, of different athletic abilities, different genders. You could argue that the way things have been sized before do not fit enough of this new diverse set of demographics that are getting into these sports. So you think about some of these applications and, you know, we're not solving the needs of this new entrant to the sport, right? Three sizes isn't going to cut it. So if you think about it, now I've got a, you know, a more diverse group of participants, we can enable them all to have that same high level experience that your pro athlete does, because we're going to start making sizes that will fit them. Uh, so I think that's perfect timing. And thankfully, this industry is getting this kind of boost of cash into it that they can start to invest in some of these areas. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of bike stories and things like that coming my way. And it's, it's so additive is really expanding the sports world in many Absolutely. respects. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, I see it, it paralleled in some of the other things that happen with just like supply chain shortages, right? Where, yeah. you know, completely out of the sporting goods, you know, nobody could get enough nasal pharyngeal swabs, right? Because <laughs> right. they were made in China or Northern Italy, right? So mm -hmm. they turned to, to uh, additive manufacturing. It's like, well, nobody can buy a bicycle right now. The bicycle suppliers cannot make enough of them, right? We're not at the point where we're printing a whole bicycle, but you know, that's the future where you have, you know, more flexible manufacturing and you can respond to, you know, some of these like white swan events that are maybe, you know, going to become more common than we think they're going to be, right? Now, in your experience, especially in applications, have you found that any of the design challenges or any of the problems that you have solved, that they can be translatable into more of an industrial design application? Yeah, totally. You know, I think classic engineering design, getting something to work once is very easy. Right. That, that first thing off the block, not that hard. Making a dozen prototypes, not that hard. The learning, the engineering, the skill is in, you know, how do we produce this correctly every time? And mm -hmm. I think those learnings are transferable across all the different industries from automotive to sporting goods to industrial automation, right? It's a certain level of sophistication that you're bringing to additive manufacturing. And that sophistication has already existed in, you know, traditional technologies. We're just now bringing it into added manufacturing. But, you know, that's the secret sauce. Now, obviously, people in all these different sports arenas come up with unique ideas, and that's great, and that has a lot of value. The engineering and the time and the work is in the consistency of a scaled manufacturing process. And I think that's totally um, applicable to any industry. So somebody who's been designing bike handles or bike frames could eventually find themselves designing medical equipment. Oh yeah, example. if you are, if you have taken <clears throat> an additive application to scale in any industry, that is a skill set that is hugely valued any, in a, any other industry, right? Okay. It's, still, it's still very unique. Um, people thinking about it in this way, 
and thinking through the whole, what's my PFMEA? What are all the variables that go into this and how do I control them in a sophisticated manner? That's an incredible skill set to have at this point in time. Okay. Now, with all of this stuff that you're doing with sports and with mobility applications, is that transferring back into the additive industry as a whole and leading to potential technology improvements in additive equipment? Yeah. Now, what, what I have seen, and I think what you've seen the industry come to is additive hardware materials, you know, with what we have today, I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. Now, as I go through some of these design processes, I run into a lot of times the software can't keep up with what I want to do. <laughs> the The traditional CAD programs can't make the shapes that I want to make, right? The ordering systems can't handle a single user ordering a custom part um, and getting it back to them. And it doesn't fit into my ERP system. My metrology and quality management software can't handle all the new variables. Um, so what we've seen now is that material cost hardware has come a long way in enabling these applications. And then we got stuck at the software. So you see this huge investment in the software space um, that again, like I said, a personalization ordering backbone uh, for sporting goods is very similar to the one that you would need for a, a personalized healthcare product. Oh, interesting. Like a prosthetic or like a guide for your surgery or something like that. I've, I've seen it, a huge advancement as we work through some of these in building new software out of necessity. Um, and I see that in lots of startups in the industry. So a cross-discipline approach is, is kind of happening here. Absolutely. Right. Do you anticipate any additional things coming to the additive industry as far as the technology based on your experience in working in the, in the sports area? Yeah, you know, I think so. The, the interesting part for me now is I, as I look through all this is, you know, the data. You know, I think new materials will come, yeah. better materials will come, machines will get faster, parts will get cheaper, right? And those are on their curve. I think those are, you know, fairly predictable. Now, you never know what you don't know, right? Completely bamboozled. But like I was saying, you know, I see software now existing on a different curve, right? Where the impetus is now there, the return now looks like, it's going to be worth it to invest in these new software um, initiatives. So that's the big one that I see. Again, I like that one because it's, you know, pan industry, right? It's not specific. I think what we're bringing it in metal is great and is kind of this new frontier of, you know, how do you bring new design innovation and who can come up with new cool products, right? Because mm -hmm. metal has been industrialized in kind of the healthcare space um, aerospace, aerospace, you know, these super high value things, rocket ships and medical implants, right? And that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Not translatable down to consumer, right? Some things, things generally go, you know, healthcare, then consumer, right? But you're not taking, you know, laser melted titanium down into consumer products <laughs> that, you know, the costs just don't work. But with, you know, the new metal technologies coming out in like a low cost way, trying to go after this MIM space, MIM's kind of been an underutilized technology because it had just has some workflow issues um, that we're trying to solve with, you know, a new way of doing essentially bind and center. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an area that you'll see people to innovate because it's such a, a blue ocean, right? People don't really know where you can take and the value you can create with it. So I'm excited to see what some of these people come up with um, or how to use those technologies. Okay, so now 
Have you learned any interesting lessons in the form of mass personalization that might be beneficial for an industrial engineer to consider? Good question. You know, the one thing I have learned, and I, I don't know how applicable this is to industrial engineers or not, but, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of applications that I see that I put my own preference on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Oh, I would never buy that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not always representative, right? Good point. Um, especially, you know, sporting goods, because, you know, I am kind of a standard outdoor sporting goods customer, right? I check that mold, right? And so now maybe my thoughts on, you know, problems and fit or size or the industry, you know, aren't representative of somebody, you know, smaller, female, new, or just pro athlete, you know, there's all these people that have these very different experiences in sports than I do. What I've learning is, you know, I can't discount something because I don't see value in, because I don't necessarily represent everybody's problems. Everybody else has very different problems, unique to themselves, right? Um, And I think that's a lesson that's kind of applicable to anybody. Yeah, that's a good point. So that what I'm hearing is that get your engineering skill set at college and then explore every kind of field you might be interested in because what you'll learn will be translatable to other industries that you might start delving into at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, engineering now is, is getting really fun because engineering is yeah. now design and is now about the human being. Right? Yeah. Kind of, we're, we're past the point of technology for technology's sake, right? We're now at the point of what is the human experience and how can you improve that, right? So somebody designing the interface for a new you know, iPhone app, you know, they're talking about the human being. Somebody designing a new, more comfortable piece of equipment for sporting goods. It's, it's all about the human experience. And that's, you know, if I was an engineer in school, anything I wanted to do in chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, software engineering, right? That focus has to be back on the human because that's what I think, you know, the smartest people I mean, most empathetic people are uniquely able to solve and create value, right? Because that's kind of what everybody's looking for right now is, you know, what is that thing that improves my experience at home, riding my bike, at work, anything like that. And that's kind of why I love sporting goods. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of a leader in all these spaces. So we mentioned a little bit about topology and the other optimization type software. Are you, is HP doing anything with that right now? Or is that part of the game plan? Yeah, we do now. It's a lot of work through partners. Okay, right? yeah, because there's a lot out there. Sure, HP doesn't believe that we're ever gonna sell the best CAD system in the world, right? right? But there are some fundamental new capabilities that the industry needs to adopt. And many people use many different types of softwares and they all need to you know, start looking at what is, design look like in 10 years from now? Because it doesn't look the same. <laughs> you know, CAD, traditional CAD programs have had a good run, you know, since the 80s or earlier, right? And they're kind of the same. Equation-based, defining edges, extruding faces, mm-hmm. b models, not very much has changed. Maybe and, some geometry. Yeah, so this is kind of a tangent, but this is where I see the future of design going. So you, you talk about, you know, CAD and how you create physical objects. And like I said, it's the same since the 80s. Now, at the same time, you look at Pixar movies and look at the difference between Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 4. 
and the difference in their capability to make 3D bodies. Exact same thing, different technology, different way to do it, but they've been able to ride this compute power curve that traditional CAD has not. They can use more voxels, more polygons, more mesh. And so they are creating this huge uh, curve in just processing power and how they're able to design 3D objects. I think traditional CAD starts to go away and you start to hop on this train of what is animation doing? What is video game design doing? Because they are advancing so fast at some point as processing power catches up where every designer can design like that. Because it still takes a ton of horsepower to render all those things, right? It's very computational heavy, but that's the future, not equations, organic shapes, um, representations, leveraging what they've done in animation and bringing it into the creation of physical objects. The big problems are data problems always, yeah. <laughs> kind of like everywhere else. So, but that's that's where I see the future of software going. Um, some of their best designers of 3D products come from either animation or video game design. Um, and they bring those skills into creating 3D objects that we then print. And I think that's the future. Yeah, we have the technology now to print 3D objects or to make 3D objects. We yeah. just need to be able to design them now. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Well, Dave, it's a pleasure talking with you. Thank you yeah, so much nice for joining too. me today. Thank you.